Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Sorry, the burps. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just say nasty? I said gassy. Shalom. Welcome to season five of She Builds Podcast. (laughs) Where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we will be discussing... Power couples. Don't worry. We will focus on the ladies like we always do. But these ladies will all be one half of power couples or partnerships. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. What about you? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So before we start, one more thing. We can't continue without saying thank you for supporting us this far. We wouldn't have made it this all this way without (laughs) all of you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Yeah. Today, we will be discussing Dora God, an architect and interior designer who influenced modern Israeli architecture. I'm Nordini Rivas, getting ready for Valentine's Day in Houston, Texas. Hey there, I'm Jessica Rogers celebrating National Kite Flying Day based out of Washington, D.C. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Let's go fly a kite. Anyway. Okay, everyone, I'm Lizzie Rar. I'm getting ready for Galentine's Day in San Francisco. Ovaries before broveries. Yes. That's right. Uteruses before deuteruses. Okay. (laughs) So for our quick disclaimer, as always, the three of us, we are not historians. We aren't even experts on these subjects. We just like to tell stories about things that we find on these women. So if we get our facts mixed up, you know, let it slide, leave us a comment, and we'll just continue learning. Okay, time to start. <clears throat> the time was August 1912. Exact date unknown. The place, Bukovina, at the time, an Austrian province. But today, Romania. Anywho, Dora Siegel was born. Whee! Her mother was a homemaker, and her dad, well, 
He studied law and became a civil servant, but he was a gambler. And so he wasn't so great at supporting the family. Dora's mom had to get help from the aunts, uncles, grandparents, and it was a lot to deal with. Dora also had a three and a half years younger brother that she lost to World War I. Wow. You hooked me with Do the dad. Do you mean two? Because you wrote two. Yep. She lost him at World War II, listeners. I apologize. You, uh, you hooked me with the dad and then you got me with the brother. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot to deal with. Sounds like things were tough in her house. Yeah. Well, because her dad was a bit absent in her childhood, she was very close to her mother and her grandparents. Her dad's father was a tailor and she credits her good sense of proportion to him. Her grandmother didn't know how to read or write, but made sure her children had grade school education. And then Dora's mother made sure Dora had an opportunity for higher education. That's so interesting. You know, proportion is something that is very important to understand when making a well-tailored garment. And I mean, proportion is a design principle that is incorporated into everything. Most definitely. Dora's family was Jewish. Dora spoke about anti-Semitism in Romania while she was growing up, but she also said that her town was pretty safe and her family was accepted. She was part of the Romanian Scouts as a teenager, and she enjoyed going out in nature with them, walking in mountains, things like that. Oh, that sounds nice. I like that she got to get out in nature. Well, Dora went to Hebrew kindergarten school, and after she went to public school, and let me tell you, she loved school and she was really good at it. She got good grades, the whole thing. When she was little, she liked making little models of houses and playing with them. Naturally, by the time she was a teenager, she was like, OK, I want to be an architect. Her Debbie Downer grandpa would ask her, how will a woman do architecture? What will you build? And Dora would tell him houses, ships stuff <laughs> and he would retort who will let a woman build a ship and she would reply you'll see they'll let me mm. that's right dora you tell him yeah dora did her thing not letting anyone tell her what she could or couldn't do because she was a woman and she got into the vienna university of technology take that grandpa mm. Mm. she was one of five women in a class of 30 students she could have gone to Bauhaus, but she Whoa. didn't have the money to go. Hmm. Yeah. Yet she doesn't regret going to Vienna because she learned a lot from the culture, the music, theater, fine architecture. And all of that influenced her work. That sounds great. I love that she was able to get into such a great school and that she wasn't the only woman. Yeah, that's great. And, you know. Although she couldn't go to the Bauhaus, there are still other great schools. And if mm. listeners can recall Lily Reich, episode 12, she went to the school in Vienna, the Wiener Werkstatt, to be exact. While living there, she was able to make a lot of great connections with people across multiple disciplines. Very there true. There you go. Mm -hmm. Dora's school also encouraged her to have interests outside of architecture and to widen her field. The school taught her, and I quote, Architecture is a very human profession. That means that you build for people. You have to learn the right approach to approach different people. 
I totally agree with that. I think designing for people and how different people will use your space is so important. Facts. At school, she met another architecture student that was in a class above her, Heinrich Jeheskel Goldberg, and thought, this guy's kind of cute. I dig him. And they started dating. Oh, hey, Dora. She lived some tough times in school, too. She talked about Nazis storming the school and beating up Jews. She would have to run and hide. That was tough for me to read when she described it in her interview. Imagine living that. I, I cannot. I can't imagine. It must have been so terrifying. Did she stay in Austria during World War II? Well, she graduated in 1934 with a diploma in engineering and architecture. Uh. And she worked in Vienna for a year. But there wasn't a lot of work going on pre-World War II. She gotcha. worked on mostly renovations of houses and retail. Then she went back to Romania and worked with one of the biggest architects there, Duilio Marcu. She was the only woman at the firm and she worked on projects for a mining company. I'm glad she was able to get work, though. Yeah, this reminds me of a few other women that we've talked about that have lived during World War II, but we've never heard this perspective. So what else was going on? During this time, she was in a long-distance relationship with Heinrich. He had moved to Tel Aviv, which was, at the time, part of Palestine under British rule. He asked her to marry him and move with him. Obviously, right? Like, they're not going to have a long-distance marriage, I hope. Yeah. yeah. So, in March 1936, she did just that. At some point, their last names went from Goldberg to God, and I really could not find out why. Maybe it's because it's quicker to say. I don't know. I'm making that up. But at least I think God sounds like a cool last name. G-A-D. God. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that's a huge change. I'm glad that we were able to be together, though. Yeah. And God does sound good. But maybe it would be more obvious or maybe even dangerous to have a last name like Goldberg. But maybe they just wanted to stand out more. I really have no idea what the reason was, so mm -hmm. yeah. we'll leave it to your imaginations, listeners. Yeah. Well, in Tel Aviv, she began working at the architecture firm of Oscar Kaufman, working on theater designs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for those of you who are not aware, Oscar Kaufman was a famous Hungarian Jewish architect who did a lot of theaters, like Norgiri mentioned. He actually got his start in Berlin, but moved to Palestine to design the Habiba Theater and Tel Aviv and a few others. When Palestine was going through their economic situation in 1939, Oscar fled again. He was able to design theaters in other parts of Europe despite everything going on, but he ended in Hungary and died in 1956. But in Palestine, he only built those two theaters and a few homes. I wonder where did Dora fit in? Well, yeah, Dora was working on the theater designs, too. Mm. The office had about 10 employees and she was, again, the only woman. But she says she didn't think anything of it. She found it normal. Mm. I mean, I think that women in architecture at that time probably were used to being the only woman at a firm. Unfortunately, that was the norm, right? And in some places, it's still the same. Yeah. Like Jessica said, Oscar wasn't getting much work for a while. And so just out of necessity, at first, Dora started moonlighting and doing her own thing. She started with a commission for a small apartment, then another. People started talking, giving her more work and more work. 
And it turns out that it was a goal of hers to start her own firm. So in 1938, she officially did. Now, one source mentions she began on her own. And by 1942, her husband joined her. Yet in an interview, Dora describes that they began their firm together. Way to go, Dora. Interesting that she herself describes it as them starting it together versus him joining her. But it sounds like she was gaining traction on her own with her moonlighting, which led them to start their own firm, whether it was her first or the two of them together. I wonder if this will be a theme or like a pattern throughout this season. Will most of our ladies have started their own firm by themselves or with their partner? I don't know. This is something to take note of as we as the season continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I look forward to discussing that on the wrap up. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. In the early days of their firm, they were designing private apartments and shops. Sources describe her style as light and modern, full of light and incorporating local building materials, art, fabrics, carpets and woven work, supporting local artists through her work. This all set her apart from her contemporary European educated architects who designed European styles of architecture that didn't necessarily fit in Palestine. She was very interested in exploring the culture of where she was through her architecture. I like that she was finding an aesthetic in her own identity and culture like Minette de Silva did in Sri Lanka. Yeah, that's really cool that she was trying to utilize architectural styles of the area to set her apart and to better work with the climate and surroundings of the Levant versus Europe. Exactly. By the 1950s, Dora and Heinrich were famous interior designers in Israel. Hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go them. <laughs> They developed an aesthetic that became very representative of their interior design work, supporting local materials and artists and incorporating archaeological features. When Dora was asked if she knew that she was developing a style, she responded, a style develops very slowly. It grows. It grows with you. It grows while you are growing in your profession. The style develops and slowly, slowly People recognize then your handwriting and that what is called then afterwards style. Para, para. Slowly but surely. I think that makes a lot of sense. You work on a project and do something you like. So next time you kind of try and improve the version of that. It's iterative, which is like a lot of design, right? Trying things out many times until you get to what works and feels right to you. This also reminds me of a lesson in branding. Interesting. Yeah, in branding, you need to be very purposeful. But I think that wasn't necessarily the case with Dora. She makes it sound like it happened over time while she didn't notice it. Yeah. yeah. Like I said before, the gods were famous. They were getting lots of commissions for civic work, including the foreign minister's residence in Jerusalem in 1950, the National Library of Jerusalem in 1956, Israel's embassies in Washington, D.C. and Ankara, the offices of El Al, Israel's national airline in New York in 1956 and London 1959, the interior design of El Al's three new airplanes. I mean, they were shaping the character of their country's civic architecture nationally and abroad. As an architect, that's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, not only were they designing an aesthetic for the new country, 
similar to what Manette did, but they were also designing how their country would be represented in other countries. Yeah, that's true. They were taking their design style all over the world. Mm-hmm. Also, every time you say the gods, it sounds like you're saying God. The, like, yeah. <laughs> the gods. <laughs> that's yeah, the why gods. I, that's why I said it like G-A-D. I know, <laughs> the God. Beginning. But it was funny because when you're like, the gods are famous. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> but. I haven't even gotten to the super impressive part. Dora designed the interiors of ships. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I think that's super cool. (laughs) (laughs) Along with the architectural firms of Alfred Mansfeld and Munio Weinraub, her office worked on the ship interiors for Zim, Israel's first national commercial maritime company. You know, I almost considered working for a firm that did cruise ship interiors. It's an interesting project type. Really? I didn't know that. That's super cool. I never thought about ship design being an architect's job, but it makes sense. I just like oh, yeah. never, you know, I just didn't think about yeah. it. You don't put two and two together, but right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dora worked on all them ships, <laughs> ships, ship ships, cargo ships. Passenger ships, flagships. Seriously, she worked on their flagship passenger ship called Shalom. Oh, that's a lot of ships. That's a lot of ships. ships. (laughs) Cool. Take that, Grandpa. Mm -hmm. That's right. Girl said she was going to design a ship. She designs a ship. Ship you not, she did. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners out there. I hope that this inspires you and that you learn or remember that as an architect, you can do whatever you have the discipline to learn about and dive into. Even Dora was like, sure, I didn't get trained to design ships, but, and I quote, with the basic training you got in school, you develop a logic. And with that logic, you go about solving different problems. Mm -hmm. There you go. Her advice, so relevant today. Yeah, that's really true. I think studying architecture sets you up for a lot of different jobs, not just architecture proper as we think Mm. of it. Yep. Exactly. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention, Dora also worked on luxury hotels. In 1955, she designed Hasharon and Acadia Hotels in Herzliya. Ooh, fancy. Five-star lady. Yeah, ish. (laughs) Sadly, as the star of the God firm was going nowhere but up, Heinrich got cancer and passed away in 1958. He was only 47 years old. Mapitom. Oh, he was so young. It seemed like they had so much ahead for them. Oh, no. That's so sad. Yeah. (sighs) Well... After that, Dora started a partnership with Arya Noy, who was previously her employee. Her firm, along with the architect Al Mansfeld, who she had been designing ships with, were invited to a competition to design the Israel Museum, which they won in 1965. And then, after it was built, they won the Israel Prize in Architecture, making Dora the first woman to win this prize. Yeah. Go Dora. Yeah. Yeah. 
A year later, they all worked on the Knesset. Whoa. The Knesset is the legislature of Israel. So the Knesset building is like our U.S. Capitol building? I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. Impressive. From what I was researching, that's what it seemed like. Cool. Yeah. A year after designing the Knesset, Dora won the design prize Regulo de Oro, awarded annually by Domus. Oh, Domus as the design magazine that several of our ladies have been contributors to, by the way. So, in other words, Dora was killing it. That's right. And I've no idea with what time, but in between all these famous projects, Dora found love again. She married Ephraim Ben Arzi, who was a veteran general and very well-known public figure. He was a general manager of El Al. As in Israel's national airline that was one of Dora's clients? Drama! Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. In fact, there was a tiny drama. She had to let go of that client to avoid any potential conflict of interest. But eventually, Ephraim left that position and she got the client back. Ooh, what a whirlwind. That's some whiplash right there. It was. <laughs> Dora was all about public architecture and civic duty, but she was still also all about the fabulous private sector life. She designed the Tel Aviv Hilton Hotel and the Jerusalem Hilton Hotel in 1974, the largest in the country at the time. She also designed the El Al offices in Zurich, Amsterdam, Brussels, and Bucharest, the El Al terminal at Kennedy Airport in New York, and the terminal interiors for the Ben Gurion Airport in Israel from 1974 to 1980. Okay, we've made it this far and haven't cracked a joke about Dora the Explorer. But this Dora, <laughs> she was really exploring and building everywhere. <laughs> she really is. I mean, she it's was. It's shocking she was, we didn't do that up till this point. I know. Do, 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 Dora. But we waited Explorer for a moment, Dora. you know? It had yeah, to. We didn't force it. That's no. right. <laughs> Around this time in 1976, Dora and Ariet went their separate ways. By this time, Dora would be in her late 60s. Sounds like time to start playing some bingo and sipping some spiked coffee all day long, am I right? Yeah. Indeed. But I doubt that's what Dora decided to do. Mm -hmm. You know, just a hunch. Yep. Yeah. Did I give it away with the bazillion projects that I mentioned? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just our ladies, you know, M.O. It's not their thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was not to be found in the bingo halls. Mm -mm. Mm, sad. She was asked if her husband resented that she kept working while he was retired. And she answered no, because he knew that she wouldn't know what to do with herself if she didn't work. Hmm. Interesting. Since our theme this season is power couples. This will be another thing to explore, this dynamic between spouses. I wonder, since her first husband died when she was in her 40s, how was it for them and their work ethic? Yeah, I'd be interested to know more about her working relationship with Heinrich, if you know about that nerdity. But it's also interesting to see the dynamic between her second husband, because mm -hmm. it seems like he understood her strong work ethic, and it would make sense since... He met her when she was at the height of her career in a powerhouse in her own right. So he he should know that that's probably not going away. Right. 
Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily in the same field as her either. Yeah. Well, when Dora spoke of Heinrich, her first husband, and their work together, she said they were basically on the same wavelength. Mm. That they often thought similarly, and it made the collaboration easy. She also had a lot of admiration for him. It's so nice to read the interview and how she speaks of him. It's Mm. really cute. She mentioned that he was an excellent architect and very, very gifted. I think it seems like they had a partnership of equals. I love that. I'm glad they were on the same page and that it seemed like he encouraged her to have such a forward facing role in the firm. Hashtag power couple. I love to see it. On a personal note, though, she regretted not having children. Heinrich didn't want kids. And at the time, her main goal was developing her firm, and she thought she couldn't do both. In retrospect, she saw other women having children and their careers, and she regretted not trying because she loved kids. Oh, we've talked about this before and how it can be really tough for women to have kids and keep pushing their career forward. But I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that she wasn't able to give it a go if that's something that she really wanted. Yeah. I think that might be another theme. It's a theme or a topic that is relevant today, not just in the AEC industry. This decision to have or not to have children and the sacrifice that women have to make with either choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, her relationship with her second husband was very different. She described him as brilliant and he would get impatient with her if she didn't follow him in a conversation. So she became more intellectual. She also had to be more of a host because he was a public figure and hosted lots of people. So she had to balance her career with his. That's really interesting to see how she had to shift to that. And the difference between having a husband who's also an architect versus one who isn't and isn't working side by side with her day to day. I mean, we can also say the same thing about friendships. And imagine if you're in a relationship with an architect versus a non-architect. Just having to explain like, just I can't hang out with you because I'm studying or I always Mm -hmm. work really late or I have to go visit a site versus Mm -hmm. whatever non-architects do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... I was happy to learn that Dora's husband, her second husband, at least, mm-hmm. understood and accepted her and her workaholic ways. Hmm. Yeah. She kept on working right up until her death in 2003. Of course she did. I'm not surprised that she kept working and working. That's what they do. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Dora sounds like she was determined from a very young age and she meant business. So nothing was going to stop her from working on a the projects that she wanted to except death right right (laughs) i mean i'm super impressed by her and i love hearing about a woman in a partnership who ended up being the more well-known of the partnership that Mm -hmm. of course might be because her husband died early but it still sounds like thor was the face of the company from the start and was she was really well known in her own right yeah yeah go dora Yeah, yeah i agree interesting story Awesome. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. Yeah, that's right. We got sponsors now. Monograph is building a community of firm owners and operation leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. 
Also, they're building the only cloud-based practice operation software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your teams to know in near real time whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, and assign roles for team members all in one place. Track a project's financial health with their unique Money Gantt, which takes your team's time and makes it simple to see whether you're on track for financial success. And use their firm-wide revenue forecast to make important strategic decisions. The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. Check this out. From March 8th through March 10th, Monograph will be hosting Section Cut, a virtual conference. Here, they'll bring firm owners, operations, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops how to improve their business. There's even going to be an all-day virtual career fair where employers pitch their firms. You can register today to reserve a seat by visiting sectioncut.com or check out our show notes for a link. Yeah, be sure to check out that link and head on over to the Section Cut Virtual Conference. Our homegirls and fellow podcasters, Evelyn Lee and Janine Chastain from Practice Disrupted will be speaking there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now back to our show. Now it's time for our karyatid. Hit it, Lizzie. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode will choose a karyatid, a woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. This week, karyatid is... Ada Karmi Melamid! Yeah, 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 yeah. Ada Carmi Melamid was born on December 24, 1936 in Tel Aviv. She has degrees from the AA in London, alma mater of several of our ladies, Mm -hmm. and from the Technion, Israel Institute of Technology. She's been a professor at Columbia, Yale, and Penn. Wow. She studied and taught all over. All over. (laughs) Some Dora the Explorer secondhand over here. In 1986, she and her brother, Ram Karmi, won a competition to design the Supreme Court of Israel compound, completed in 1992. At the time, a critic of the New York Times wrote of the design, the sharpness of the Mediterranean architectural tradition and the dignity of the law are here married with remarkable grace. Hmm. Whoa. I love that our karyatid was part of a partnership as well. And keeping Mm -hmm. it in the family. Uh, 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 uh. You know what, guys? I just realized that I've been saying Ada because I'm Hispanic and I was reading it in Spanish. But I think that I should be saying Ada. So from now on, I'm going to say Ada. Okay. Hope you forgive me. So in... 2007, Ada was awarded the Israel Prize for Architecture, just like Dora did. I'm definitely feeling the connection with Dora. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, before we say goodbye, let's visit the Agora. In Greek society, the Agora was a central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we're going to share some news from the listeners. 
Okay. So at the Gora today, we just want to give a shout out to all the women and listeners out there that are taking an active role in the Great Resignation. This panini, panana, panamania, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, it has flipped so many things on its head and it has taught us so many things about our industry, the workplace, and about ourselves. The Great Resignation, for those of you that don't know, is the mass amount of people that are leaving their jobs. So we just wanted to say that we see you listeners, those that are courageous enough to say enough is enough and leaving their jobs, those that are going to job interviews and asking for what you want and getting it, those that have left. Yeah. Those that have left what they know to start their own thing. We see you. There are too many of you out there to call out by name, but since we're at the Agora, this is the type of congrats that cannot go unsaid. Those type of career moves that can happen after this great resignation reminds me of our ladies, you know? The women that we talk about are resilient, and so are the women and listeners today. So, congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. We really want to continue to share great news from our listeners. So if you have news to share, big or small, please send them to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments. Before we say Lehitraut, we want to say Toda to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, Toda for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to Dora and Ada along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, Toda. Did you know that She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network? Do you know what Gable Media is? It's the curated thought leadership for an audience that's dedicated to building a better and more awesome world. So listen and subscribe to all the 10 shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your legislators, your pilots, your all the people, ship builders, builders, maritime folk, any maritime folk. (laughs) Tell them. Yes. (laughs) Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast. And on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Again, bye. Bye. Para para. Slowly but surely. Like a cow? So that's what it's. Okay. So, um, para para. That's what it literally means. It means oh, cow. Oh. So it's like cow, cow. But the expression is the equivalent of slowly but surely. I see it. I see. (laughs) I just, yeah. It's Hebrew. I'm learning. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. 
You got yeah. anything? I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.